Uh, how many of you have kids? Raise your hand. How many of your kids started back to school today? Raise your or this week? Raise your hand. How many are starting next week? Raise your hand. The joy in this place of your faces just amazes me uh, to see that kids are going back to school. Um, so that's good. And uh, tonight, I really do want to encourage you uh, to come out to the water bowl. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and you don't have to cook except for your little dish that you bring, but uh, I think it's just going to be a great time, and I uh, really want to encourage you to come and, and be a part of that. And um, Chuck Mock and I are putting down a challenge right now. Uh, right now. It's a uh, cornhole uh, challenge. Uh, Chuck is our uh, ministry director of Celebrate Recovery, and we will take on anybody. You bring your best person just two of you, and we'll take you on. So uh, we, I'm sure we'll win the trophy, so uh, bring it. Uh, the Gallup poll tells us that 90% of people in the United States pray. In other words, uh, you know, only one person out of ten doesn't pray. And so I want to begin this morning by having you kind of doing a rating system uh, for yourself and to rate your life based upon this question. And the question is, how satisfied am I with my prayer life? When it comes right down to it, how satisfied are you with your prayer life? And there's kind of a continuum I want you to think about as we go through this. Um, the continuum's kind of 0 to 10. And if you're a 10, uh, you find yourself constantly kind of in prayer. At that end of the spectrum, you're consistent, consistently uh, living out a relationship with God, you're constantly seeking His presence. You long to be alone with Him in prayer. You carve out time so that you can uh, connect with Him in prayer. When you have problems, um, your first instinct uh, is to pray. And uh, you ask for wisdom uh, for God in those times of prayer. You intercede for other people. Like when people tell you, hey, could you pray for me? You don't just forget about it. You actually pray with that person on the spot, or you pray uh, later on within that day. It's kind of like you have the gift uh, of being able to pray. So uh, that's kind of a 10. A zero, on the other hand, is kind of like you are prayerless. Okay? If you have a problem, uh, your first instinct is to worry. If your prayer life is uh, not going so well, it's because of the fact that there is sin and unforgiveness and bitterness kind of in your heart. Um, if you're at a zero, you kind of allow busyness uh, to become your God uh, more than anything else. And there's kind of a prayerless person. Um, if you think about it, we think, oh, prayer, it's a burden. You're kind of at a zero. So what I'd like you to do is to pull out the teaching outline uh, in your program, and there's an actual kind of... Uh, continuum for you to fill out kind of where you're at. Uh, don't look at anyone else's. This is just between you and God. But from 0 to 10, where would you put yourself if that was kind of the continuum? So uh, go ahead and uh, fill that out. How satisfied are you with your prayer life? Now the question that's right below that I think is just as important, and it's a question that I want to encourage you to 
answer as well. And that question is, where would you like to be in your prayer life a year from now? Uh, When we gather here together uh, in August of next year, where would you like to be in your prayer life? So zero to ten, just kind of circle where that's at. Now, with school starting up, what I want us to do is to realize that the greatest learning that you could have in this next year is that you could increase your prayer life. I'm going to challenge myself and each one here to have a deeper prayer life when school starts next year than where you're at right now. No matter what else happens, That we as a church want to be committed to prayer and we want to be able to say that this time in 2012, our number one goal reaching up until that point is that we are going to become more committed to prayer. In fact, the lead team has been meeting and the one thing that we have discerned is that we want to seek God more in prayer. And we're going to have some opportunities throughout this next school year for each of you to kind of do that. And the reason is, is because Jesus said these words. They'll come up on the side screen. He said, my house shall be a house of what? A prayer. Not of teaching, not of music, not of all those things. Although all those things are important. They keep me employed and Derek too, so we're grateful for it. But the essence is, is that God wants his house to be a house of prayer. I mean, what would happen if all of us just said today, before we left from this place, we are going to devote ourselves to making our church community, our church family, a house of prayer. And I don't mean you have to be a person who stands up and you pray out loud all the time. I'm just saying that you make it a commitment of your life. We're just going to stand in the presence of God, we're going to pour our hearts out to Him, and we're going to ask Him to bless our lives. Why? So that we get fat with blessing? No, so that we can then be a blessing to other people. That we can serve on uh, August 27th to go into our community and love people with radical kindness. Prayer gives us the energy to be able to do that. We're going to just stand here and say, that we are not just going to watch this place continue to be a place of God, but it's going to become a house of God. It might be a stinky house of God, uh, you know, Monday through Saturday, but on Sundays, folks, it will be a house of prayer. Well, I want to begin to uh, kind of launch this challenge to you today by looking at Exodus chapter 17. And this is a powerful story. One of the most powerful stories in the Old Testament of the power that prayer has in our lives. Let me give you a little bit of background. Moses has been interceding for his people called the Israelites. And interceding means you simply are asking requests to God on behalf of somebody else. And it's one of the greatest gifts, really, that you could ever give to anyone else. It's actually request or to pray on behalf of someone else. So let's look at this story. It'll come up on the screens. Then Amalek, who was a, a foe, came and fought against with Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some men for us to go out 
and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and they put it under his arm. And he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the sun set. And Joseph defeated, or Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a reminder in a book and recite it in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, A hand upon the banner of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So let's jump right in, and I want to walk you through today, using this text, three steps of how you can become a person of prayer. Three steps that if you take, I think you will um, become a greater person of prayer than you are in this moment. And the first step is this. I must recognize my total dependence on the power of God through prayer. I must recognize my total, utter dependence on the power of God through prayer. Because the prevailing power of God flows through those who pray. Because the prevailing power of God flows through those individuals who pray. Now here's the story. The people of Israel are attacked by this tribe, the Amalekites. So Moses calls Joshua... And this is the first time, folks, that we ever hear about this guy named Joshua in the entire Bible. Joshua is kind of an assistant to Moses. He's the military leader of Israel's armory, and he kind of connects with him. But he holds a very important place in this story, because Joshua's name actually means the Lord will deliver. That's what his name means. The Lord will deliver. So Moses... Uh, tells Joshua, why don't you go down to the battlefield? I'll go up here to the top of the mountain, to this hill, and I won't be there with you at the beginning of the battle. You go ahead, Joshua. You lead the people. Now, if you've been a part of any of the series over this summer, or if you're brand new today, it's okay, because uh, the reality is, You'll learn about Moses today very quickly that he wasn't always a person who went up on a hillside and prayed. Moses was a very independent person. He was the kind of person who kind of wanted to do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. In fact, you might remember that there's a story early on in his narrative in which uh, he comes up and he sees a couple guys that are fighting with each other. And one of them is an Egyptian. And he has kind of got the stranglehold on one of Moses' people, the Israelites. And the scripture tells us that Moses takes things into his own hands and he kills him. That's right, Moses is a murderer. 
he never seeks God's direction. He's an independent guy. But Moses, in the last 40 years, has learned. He's learned through the ten plagues. He has learned through the Passover. He has learned through the parting of the Red Sea. He has seen the power of God at work to deliver His people. So the next day, the battle begins. And some of you know what that's like when the battle's there. You're the kind of person that wants to be in the battle. But Moses isn't there. He's on the hillside, not in the thick of the battle, but he's praying. Then this amazing thing happens. He has his hands lifted up to God in prayer. And while his hands are lifted up, Israel prevails. They are wiping out everyone else. As long as Moses' hands are lifted up to God in prayer, Israel is winning the battle. But after a while, his hands get tired. I was going to do this demonstration, but I thought some of you might have B.O. today, and I didn't want to, you know. I was going to have everybody just kind of raise their hands for the rest of the celebration. You couldn't do it. And just think, not doing it for the whole day, or for the whole, you know, celebration, but you did it for the whole day long. You were trying to lift your hands up. I don't care how strong you are, you couldn't do it. And it turns out that on that particular day, folks, that prayer was a lot more difficult, and that's where the battle was, rather than on the battlefield. Because all of a sudden, when his arms and hands get tired and they begin to start going down, the battle doesn't go so well for Israel. Israel begins to lose the battle. So he raises his hands back up again and the battle turns and Israel is wiping them out. And Moses realizes that the prevailing power of God is delivered to people who pray. God allows Moses to be the intercessor. He's the one that is praying for this battle that's going down in front of him, that he is the one who is interceding for them. So when his hands are lifted up, we see the power of God at work on the battlefield. I mean, the writer of Exodus wants us to know that it didn't depend upon the strength of the people who were fighting the battle down there. I mean, if you're like in the army, I've never been in the army, but I've talked to my dad who was in the army. And he said, when you're on the battlefield, you're not thinking about anything except getting the enemy. So they're, they're strong. They have full force that's going on. But the writer wants us to understand that the power was not happening in the battle. It was happening up on the hillside. Now, Moses is not strong enough to pray like this for the entire time. So his hands begin to drop, and all of a sudden, two of his buddies come, one named Hur and the other one named Aaron, his brother, and they hold up his hands. And in verse 12, it literally says this, so his hands were firmness itself until the sun set. Moses is just like, I don't care how many people I have to get, I will not stop praying. I'm going to keep my hands lifted up praying to God. Now, from all outward appearances, when the battle ended, 
Who do you think everybody thought had won the battle? Joshua. Joshua's our general. He's the one who had such a great strategic plan to wipe out the Amalekites. And his role was important. And Joshua was needed. And maybe everybody thought that's the case. But Joshua knew the truth. He knew that there was a total dependence upon God because there were three guys hid out on the side of a hillside praying and interceding for the people. So though, although Joshua was important and he was needed, there wasn't anything for Joshua to get cocky about or to think that, oh, look what I'm doing. In fact, I was just thinking about this week. Can you imagine, I don't know if they could see each other or not, but can you imagine, you know, Joshua's down there and he's in the battle. And Moses is up there and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Moses just kind of says, Joshua, no hands. Just kidding, I'll put them back up for you, Joshua, you know. Because the battle was not in the valley, folks. The battle was on that little nook up on a hillside. The battle was him trying to keep his hands lifted up in prayer to God for the entire time. And when those hands became tired, there were people that went around and they lifted up his hands in prayer. Prayer wasn't preparation for the battle. Prayer was the battle. Let me say that again. Prayer wasn't the preparation for the battle. It was the battle. Prayer was where the battle was fought. Prayer was where the battle was won. For the prevailing power of God flows through those individuals who choose to pray. And this is consistent throughout all of history. Take this church, for example, the jar. We have seen God do some incredible things uh, since we started. We started with six people, and uh, I'll never forget being at a conference, and they said, uh, it was for church planners, people who were starting new churches. And they said, we just wanted all of you to have some words of encouragement that eight out of ten of you are going to fail. Let's jump in for that, you know. All for God. And they say that in the first five years, that 80% of all new churches fail. They just can't be able to be consistent. And God has helped us. He has helped us flourish even in difficult times because the focus has been upon him. And each time he wasn't, he corrected us and he drew us back into his presence. The reality is, folks, we have a lot of Joshua's in this place. A lot of good people who work hard, who give of themselves, who do things. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but maybe the reason why God has done so many things in the life of the jar that the ultimate reason of why he has done so many things is because there have been some little Moseses that, ha- that are unknown and unnamed who have been on hillsides praying for this place. Maybe years and years and years ago, somebody on a little hillside just prayed that a church would come to this community and would impact people's lives in a way that we have been called to. Maybe that's why what has happened in this place has happened. Maybe it happened before the thought of even starting a church ever even crossed my mind or anyone else's. Maybe someone started praying for Derek, our worship leader, 20 years ago. 
when he was a little kid. Maybe, you know, when I was a little kid, 25 years ago, uh, you know, someone was there praying for me. Or maybe, you know, someone started praying for our Celebrate Recovery ministry leader, Chuck Mock, years and years and years ago. So many years we can't count how many that is. You know? But maybe someone just started to pray and said, God, would you pour your blessing out on this life, on this person, on this person, on people who are sitting here today? Maybe some unknown Moses went to some obscure hill and lifted up some unseen hands in prayer and maybe we will never know on this side of heaven why exactly God has done what he's done in the life of the jar. And maybe ultimately in the kingdom of God, that's exactly the reason why things have happened. Maybe what's happened in the last six years as we uh, have become a church is because there were hands that were lifted up. Maybe some of your hands. I know some of you pray for this place, and you prayed for this place from day one, some of you. But what would happen if you wouldn't have prayed? You know, when you think about it, what if Moses and Aaron and her had never had prayed? What if they didn't lift up hands in prayer? Well, of course, God can accomplish whatever God wants to accomplish. However, He wants us to know, and it's true in Scripture, that the prevailing power of God, folks, flows through prayer. And who knows what would have happened if some of you had not prayed. For those of you who do pray daily, I just want to encourage you, don't stop praying. Don't put your hands down. This place needs you so much to be interceding and praying daily. Who knows what blessings would cease to flow in this place and in our lives if there wasn't some of you who were committed to prayer. Who knows what power would be lost in this place. Who knows what would happen in the battle. Folks, the reality is the prevailing power of God flows through those who pray. And this is not just true for the church. It's true for your life. Some of you might be here for the very first time. And I just want to tell you, the more that you spend time trying to get to know whoever this God is, to get to know who Jesus is, and you spend time in prayer, what happens is God pours His power into your life. It's it's the greatest amount of power. When you pray, it's like going to the light socket and plugging in, all of a sudden God gives you power that you couldn't do on your own. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to get whatever you want. There's a poor theology out there called the prosperity gospel, which is basically name it and claim it. And it's horrible. But really what God longs to do is to give us gifts that help our life. Gifts like patience and wisdom. Don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you have difficult people in your life? Well, if you do, what God wants to do is He wants to grow your patience with that person. 
Some of you have people in your life that are difficult to love, and God wants to give you wisdom on how to love them more. You see, folks, we are so impressed so often with so many inferior forms of power. A couple of years ago, uh, my uncle, who I've shared about his powerful story, but today I just want to tell you that a couple of years ago he died and we were in Florida. And while we were celebrating his funeral, we got a phone call from a friend of ours. Um, that was the year that the Colts played the Saints in the Super Bowl. And they said, you won't believe it. We know someone who has a couple of tickets. Do you want to get them? And my wife was there, who I love and who I dearly care for. But my father, who is 72 years old at that time, said, I'm in. And so we went ahead and we cashed in his 401k. But we went to the Super Bowl. And when we got to the Super Bowl, you know, you, it, it, there's this huge security. And you have to go through all these lines and they check everything. And by the time you get there, half of your stuff they've taken away. And you get all the way there and you finally get to your seat. And then you wait there for a while and they have these different activities that are going on. And everyone's looking around trying to find Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie because they're on the screen. But where we were sitting, you couldn't even see the screen. You know what I mean? So eventually, Carrie Underwood uh, gets out there and she sings, you know, the national anthem and everyone's going crazy. And my dad and I, we're on the top row in the corner. We're seats in the place, but we're at the Super Bowl. And we're just, you know, cheering. And all of a sudden, something amazing happened. Four F-18 uh, jet fighters fly over us about 200 yards above us. And my dad, who is a man of God, begins to give some expletives that I'd never heard in my life before. He almost flips down, you know, over the seat. And you're just watching this, you know, and I'm in shock. And we're all watching the power of these jets go across. And uh, I, I guarantee any kid that was there that day, they were like, sign me up. That is cool. I want to be a pilot, you know. And people just responded to this huge display of power. Wouldn't it be a cool thing if you could just get an F-18 anytime you wanted? For instance, let's say that you have a real cranky neighbor who's right beside you, you know, and they're giving you some, you know, business. And uh, you just say, you know what, Joe, why not at 10 o'clock tonight, why don't you go to your backyard? I think there'll be something there that you'll enjoy. And all of a sudden you have one of those F-18 just fly, like right down. Boom! Or maybe it's, you know, a disagreement between you and your spouse and uh, of who's going to, you know, handle the remote control. And uh, you just say, hey, honey, uh, well, let's not argue about this. Go out to the uh, driveway and look. And all of a sudden, you know, this F-18 just comes in and this power is there. The Bible says this. Some people trust in chariots. Some people trust in horses. Some people trust in F-18s. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You see, folks, every single battle lies in the hands of the Lord. And God longs to pour out His power into your life. He really does. 
And I just can't imagine what this place will look like if we make this place a house of prayer and we begin to recognize the total dependence on Almighty God. Here's the second step to becoming a person of prayer. I'm kind of embarrassed to say it because it's so simple, but this is it. I must intentionally devote time to prayer. I must intentionally devote time to prayer. If we're ever going to make this place a house of prayer, we've got to become serious about this issue of busyness and time. And I've been thinking uh, just about one step that uh, you can do right now. If you would, pull out your cell phone or your Blackberry uh, or your calendar. Go ahead, pull it out. Um, Gary, if you can get mine over there real quick, it's on the chair. So I'm going to give you time, I'm going to get mine, I'm going to do this, okay, with you. So it's not just like me. I have this Blackberry, I really don't know how to use it, but it does have a calendar. So what I'd like you to do, pull it out, uh, calendar, whatever, uh, Blackberry, your cell phone, whatever. And what I'd like you to do is scroll to tomorrow. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to get on my calendar. I'm going to scroll to tomorrow. So go ahead, get on tomorrow. And what I'd like you to do is I'm going to invite you here in just a second to put a word. Now, some of you are morning people. You wake up in the morning. The birds are singing. It's a great day. You feel excited. You're filled with joy. You're so delighted in the things of God. It's the best part of your day. Some of you aren't. Some of you are night people. Morning people are ready to go to bed. They're almost done. But at night, it's like you get your groove on and you're excited and you're so happy. And then there are some of you who have a very narrow window of time. Maybe 11.30 to 11.45 where you're at your best, okay? I don't care wherever it is, but wherever it is, I'd just like you to write in or type in the word prayer tomorrow. Anytime you want, uh, just go ahead. I'm going to do it too. Um, I'm going to type in prayer here. Okay, so if you're a morning person, put it in the morning, evening, whatever. But you just put prayer right there. And you just make an appointment right now that this is going to be your appointment. It's going to be the most important appointment that you have. Nothing's going to take away from this time tomorrow. It's the most important chunk of my day. And I'm making time available to actually pray tomorrow. Now, I want us to see something in this scripture that is so obvious that if we're not careful, we may miss it. Moses calls the people to battle. He sends Joshua out there. But Moses himself is missed from the battle because he is devoted to prayer. He was not down in the valley. He was not leading the troops. He took time away from what he was doing to go and to spend time in prayer. Now, my temptation, I think if I were Moses, and there's a battle going on, I think my temptation would be, well, I'll go and I'll lead the fight. Because I'm Moses. I'll go down to the valley and I'll just pray as I go along. You know, if something's happening over here, I'll bam, hit that guy and then I'll pray a little bit. And I'll just kind of be there doing that. Well, one of the greatest barriers that we face in prayer that we become so obsessed with 
is what it means to be productive. I mean, without even thinking it, we divide our lives into two periods of time, our productive time and our non-productive time. And we all have a sense of when we are productive and when we're not productive. Now, I'm just going to list a few activities, and I'd like you to shout out whether you think it's productive or non-productive, okay? So here's the first one. Work. I'm concerned. I thought that'd be a little bit more obvious, you know? Okay, wow, we're in trouble as a church, you know, if that's... Anyways, let's try that again. The correct answer is productive, by the way. Uh, So let's do it again. Uh, The activity of work. Okay. Television. Well, I don't know what that was over there. Uh, Using large power tools. Productive, it should be, depending on who uses them, right? I mean, might be non-productive. Vacation, non-productive. Now, don't answer this one out loud, but I just want you to think as fast as you can once I put the word out there. Prayer. See, the problem with this world is that often the world and not the kingdom of God sets the agenda of what is productive and what is non-productive. So if we commit time to prayer, if we carve some time out in prayer, you begin to focus on a totally different value system because the world will tell you that prayer is not productive. It's non-productive. And yet the reality is prayer is the most productive thing that you could ever do in your entire life. It is partnering with God in the ways of the world. Prayer is partnering with God. And there is not a word that you speak in prayer. There is not a moment that you spend in prayer that is ever wasted. There's not a word that you speak. There is not a moment that you spend that is ever wasted. So this week, we're going to partner with God in prayer. Maybe you just want to set aside some time this week where you're going to spend some time with God in prayer. Third thing. That Moses did. Third thing, if you want to be a person of prayer, this is it. I must find some creative aids to help me with my prayer life. I must find some creative aids that will help me with my prayer life. Now Moses goes on top of this hill where he can see the battle. He doesn't uh, go down into the battle. He doesn't do so to kind of let God in on what's going on. You know, he's not like a person who goes up and says, Hey, God, by the way, this is what's happening in the battle. Because we know that already God already knows what's going on. That's what happens when you're omnipotent, when you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you're omniscient. He does this because it will help Moses to pray. The reason Moses goes up is because it helps him to know how to pray. He can look down at the battle and he's like, Oh man, Fred is about ready to get wiped out. God, be with Fred. Help him right now. Oh, this guy's legs, they're getting ready to buckle. Oh God, you know, be with him. Oh, this corner of the battle is not working. Be with him. And you see, you find some intentional prayer that is focused on interceding for others 
because he is looking and he has a sense of what's going on. It's kind of a a prayer aid for him. Now, what are some of the ones that we have? Well, one is you could journal, journaling. I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but have you ever been praying and all of a sudden you're like, I don't even know where I'm at or what I'm talking about. Your mind just kind of goes. And what I found real helpful for me, and I've done this uh, for years, is that I get a journal out and I start writing down my prayer. So I'm focused in on the things that I'm asking. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll take one day, I don't try to pray for everything, but on one day I'll thank God for everything in my life. One day I'll pray for my family. One day I'll pray for the church. One day I'll pray for people who are far from God who I'm praying for. And each day in my journal, there'll just be this opportunity to be able to pray for them. And writing it down and having it in front of you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a second helps. Here's a second prayer aid. This is where you just pull up an empty chair. You just kind of pull up an empty chair and you imagine in that moment that Jesus is right there in present with you. He's not a distant God. He's not far off. But he's right there in the midst of that. I've done this exercise before uh, where people have done that. And I've had people actually tell me they felt the presence of God being right there with them. Because Jesus said that. He said that in these words. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But what helps us is if we have this visual creative aid that can help us to say, okay, Jesus is right there. And when our mind wanders, Jesus, help me. And you have a sense that he's right there. It reminds me that we're together. It reminds me that it's not just a monologue. It's not me just telling God all these things, but that God's right there, that we're connecting, that he's listening, that he may even speak to my spirit in some way. Now, I would encourage you not to try this on an airplane. People will think you're a kook then, okay? But in the quietness of your house, you pull up a chair and you imagine that God is present. Here's another thing. You simply quiet your mind. You quiet your mind. Now, this is much easier said than done, isn't it? A great Christian uh, writer and theologian, Henry Nouwen, uh, talked about this when he talked about prayer. He said, the problem when I go to prayer is my mind is like a banana tree with monkeys jumping up and down. Isn't that a great image? That when you go to prayer, it feels like Your prayer life is this monkey tree. And there's all these monkeys that are jumping up and down. Just imagine that. I mean, there are all these thoughts that are hopping and jumping all around. They're all seeking your attention. I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I need to do this. Little monkeys just going nuts, jumping all around in your mind. Little attention deficit disorder monkeys, you know. They're just like all around jumping around you. They need Ritalin or something, you know. But it's very difficult for us to keep our minds focused in. And yet God is clear when He says these words, be still and know that I'm God. That there's something about knowing God when we are still. And folks, sometimes maybe you have to take 30 seconds or 60 seconds or a couple of minutes and you just kind of quiet yourselves out before you enter into prayer. Here's the last thing. Place a visual reminder in front of you. Place a visual reminder in front of you. Moses said this in verse 9, I will stand on top of the hill 
with the staff of God in my hand. Now, why do you think it was so important that Moses had that staff with him? Well, if you remember the story, this staff was with Moses at the very beginning when he first got connected with God at a burning bush. And God says, throw it it down and it will become a snake. Now, I don't know about you, but if you had a cane or a stick and it becomes a snake, you would never forget that. And you would hold that thing loosely. And each time that Moses looks at this staff, he thinks of the power of God. I'm going to take this staff up to the hillside while I'm praying and I'll be reminded of who God is and what God has done in my life when I pray. One picture that has become uh, central for me is from an artist. And it's simply a, a visual reminder. But it's a picture of a man who is so torn and worn out and exhausted. And Jesus is right behind him, holding him up, even as he holds a hammer of the sin of his life. And when we started the jar, and I felt so often that God was not around, I would just look at this picture. I couldn't even pray, but I would look at that picture, and eventually it would help me to think that God really is there, that he's not far away. Well, I want to give you an opportunity uh, this morning for you to write out your own prayer to God. If you would, pull out your little uh, insert, uh, your teaching outline. And uh, on the very bottom of it, it just says, my prayer. And what I'd like you to do is go ahead, pull it out, get a pen. It's right in front of you. And I'd like you to just focus in writing a prayer to God. You might thank Him for things. You might ask Him for things. There might be needs in your life. You might ask for forgiveness for things in your life. Whatever it is, you just take a pen and you begin to start writing it down. And what I'd like you to do is, uh, we're going to give you a couple minutes to do this. This is just between you and God, no one else. And then uh, Derek's going to lead us in a song. And at that time... There are tables that are around you. These are Jesus' tables. And if you have a relationship with Jesus or today you say, you know what, I'm all in. I really want a relationship with him. Let me know. But these tables are open for you. And you can just go to uh, any of these tables and to tear off a piece of bread and to dip it and to eat. But I'd like you to take a moment and get a pen, take a pen. You didn't get a program. I heard we ran out today, so ask somebody beside you. They'll let you borrow one. But just take a couple minutes right now and write out your prayer to God. And I'll kind of lead us into that. God, for some of us, we're, we're going through some tough stuff. In fact, this whole celebration has kind of been a blur to be quite honest because there's so many things that are going on in some people's lives right now is their opportunity God for them to just ask you for help and you are a God who wants to help some people want to thank you for things some people God even last night man they just blew it 
in a huge way. And today, God, they just need to write down, God, I'm sorry. Whatever it is, God, that your people need, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would just come right now. Help them to write down their needs, their hurts, whatever they need. And may these tables be places of welcome and openness to say, I love you. I forgive you. So come now, Holy Spirit. Do what you need to do. In Jesus' name.
you guys would stand. We're going to have the band come up. As we kind of close out this time, uh, I just want you to, to leave from this place knowing how incredibly loved you are. And that tomorrow, that same God will be there for uh, prayer. to meet with you. He really is longing to meet with you tomorrow. Not with Chris Bunch, not with... No, God wants to meet with you. And whatever it is, whatever's on your calendar, that you could do that. And going into that, I just want you to recognize how incredibly loved you are by the God of the universe. So let's sing this together.
us uh, so freely. All we do is just come to you, God. We are so thankful for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, know that you're loved in this place. Have a great week. Uh, if there's anything you need prayer for at all, uh, there will be people up here to pray with you today. So, again, have a great week.